This is The Culture Code with Kevin Cruz, founder and CEO of LeadX, the platform that helps you scale and sustain a high-performance culture. Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Cruz. Welcome back to Culture Code. Our guest today is the Chief People Officer at Alto Pharmacy, Shannon Wilson. Shannon, welcome. And where are you joining us from today? Hi, thanks for having me today, Kevin. I'm actually joining you from the Pacific Northwest. I'm just outside Seattle, Washington. Ah, beautiful area. Haven't been out there in um, ages, but was have been out there a few times as a tourist. So long overdue. Absolutely gorgeous, especially this time of year. Uh, it's hard to beat the Pacific Northwest when it comes to summers. You have things like wonderful seafood and fish markets, and I'm in beautiful Philadelphia where we have wonderful cheesesteaks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So Shannon, let's start at the beginning. When I think of Alto Pharmacy, it is not the local neighborhood pharmacy that I walk in and hand a script to. So tell us a little bit about the organization. Absolutely. So we are a digital pharmacy committed to fulfilling medicine's true purpose, which is to improve the quality of life for everyone who needs it. For most of us, if we've ever been to a pharmacy, there's a good chance we've had a bad experience at a pharmacy, whether a long wait or an unexpectedly high price. And that puts the burden on the patient. And oftentimes they give up and they don't follow their doctor's orders. We've had some success changing that. We make it easy for the doctors to send their patients prescriptions to us. We automatically search for coupons and discounts to help our patients get their medicine at the lowest possible price. And then we deliver it right to their door based on when they scheduled it in our app. We've got about 1,100 Altoids across the country from pharmacists working directly with patients and providers, a full logistics team that coordinates the delivery process from start to finish, and then a whole host of other people helping us bring this to life. Did you say 1,100? 1,100. Great cultures have have nicknames for each other. Altoids is the... Altoids, uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah. (laughs) I love that. The longtime listeners will know that's something I always listen for is, okay, are they going to reveal the the inner name, you know, for the great colleagues that they have? So Altoids. And so tell me again, I'm sorry if you mentioned it, like a lot of people are talking again about back to work issues. So just so we have the context for our conversation, are you fully remote? Are you hybrid? Are you remote first? How do you, where have you settled on this issue? Uh, We've got a bit of a mixture. Obviously, we've got teams that are in the buildings or out on the roads, fulfilling those prescriptions and driving directly to the patient's homes. We've got some teams that are in the office, either full-time or hybrid, And those are roles that really benefit from sort of working together or at least coming together on occasion. And then we've got other roles that are fully remote. So the approach that we're taking, Kevin, is really to think about what's the role, what's the the benefit, what's the the nature of it, and then do what's right for that particular both role and, quite frankly, the person that's in it and making sure that we're, we're setting them up for success. Company culture, it can sometimes be hard to even describe what culture is, and and each culture tends to be a little bit different. Alto's clearly a very innovative company, a startup. How would you describe your company culture to an outsider such as myself? I think that's actually pretty straightforward because this mission is noble. You know, medicine needs some disruption. And so I would say patient-obsessed, purpose-driven, and values-based. Say those three again for me. You see, I'm taking notes. Patient-obsessed, purpose-driven, and values-based. Tell us a little bit, like, 
how do you foster and sustain this culture? This is where our values lead the way, Kevin. And I think most of us have probably worked for companies where the values or the vision are sort of a poster on the wall. I won't name names, but I even worked somewhere where it was like a badge I had to wear on my clothing every day. But values at their best don't only protect and propel your culture, but they get embedded into it and you start speaking Altoid in our case. And you see those values guiding decisions. They're a framework for the actions that you take. They gain alignment. Even when I like have someone reach out to me on LinkedIn about roles, the first thing I say is, thanks for your interest. Here's our values. You need to start there and decide if this is a place you want to work. So like I said, they lead our way. And we try to embed them into everything that we do so that you have that sort of consistency. And, you know, when you face a sort of, do I go this way or that way, you can turn towards those and they help you make your decision. And in that way, they democratize decision-making. And like I said, really help sustain the culture for you. Stan, you bring up a good point that that fostering great culture starts in the hiring process, right? And, And a strong culture will reject just as many or more than it will attract. You know, it's a sign that you don't want to be for everything. That would be a average culture, generic culture. You want something unique. And I also think another key lever is the role of the frontline leader. In in most organizations, depending on span of control, these leaders are are responsible for 80% of the workforce of 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 your colleagues. And most of they're the filter of good and bad that happens at work. So what are you doing to train or support your frontline leaders? I imagine, you know, you don't have all the resources that you might have had when you worked in giant companies. This is a small organization. So how are you supporting these folks? You're exactly right. I I started out my own career as an individual contributor and then a frontline leader. And I know every day that I do this job on one day away from that. But I try to keep grounded to that. And both myself and my peers take steps to stay connected. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about some of our feedback loops, sort of the leadership connected to the frontline experience, not only the frontline leaders, but the employees, because we want those frontline leaders to have the support that they need, including training. But to your point, we are a startup, so you've got finite resources. And whether you're a startup or not, From my perspective, nothing beats those on-the-job, learn-by-doing opportunities to cultivate both acumen and judgment, Mm. especially if you got a great leader, especially if they're giving you that that care and support that you need. Man, it just can accelerate you down your learning curve. And, you know, there is a time and place for training. You mentioned that it's if you're in a smaller environment, it's harder because they're a bit of a luxury. They're very expensive. And there's a limited ROI on that. And especially if you don't have, and I know you're a believer in this, if you don't have things like nudges and digital interventions to reinforce that classroom training, we do some of that, but you really need those follow-up things to land it and to make sure that it's exiting the training room and going into the day-to-day. And so uh, we do some of that. And then we we do something we call teaching at scale, which Mm -hmm. is looking at our operational cadence and our processes to say, what do we do on what day and who is part of that process? Because there's so many opportunities to learn if you do that. I think about one of the ones that 
this is something that I first learned when I was leading a tech team, which is the cause of error or the COE as tech folks will say. And that's when they have something go sideways, they'll have this whole review that goes sort of five wise into what happened. And then they come back once they've got that fully documented and they bring in their entire engineering team and take you through everything that happened. And they talk through what they think went wrong and how they could have avoided it and how they're going to avoid it in the future. That doesn't have to just be limited to tech. You can use that anywhere. And in fact, we just used it in operations not too long ago. One of the facilities that we have a pharmacy at, that broader facility actually had someone come and and do some damage they were trying to get into, not our building, but one of the other buildings. And they damaged the power on us and they damaged the AC on us. And we had a whole process to, number one, recover that building, take care of the patients that might be impacted because they had prescriptions that day, and make sure that we maintain the integrity of the medications that we keep there. This was in a southern state and Mm -hmm. so super hot and you've got meds that need to stay at certain climates. And man, that event, Kevin, that was just filled with learnings and lessons. And when we got done with that event, our supply chain officer, he took time to actually pull together his team, including those frontline leaders that may face a similar situation in the future. And he went through that entire cause of error. Mm. And some companies might call it an after action or a post-mortem, but those are those teaching at scale moments. You don't have to have a classroom. You can take real life moments and let others learn and give feedback like, well, did you think about this? Why did you do that? I mean, that's where the real learning, I think, happens, especially for the frontline, because they're faced with so many different things. And especially if you're in an environment where you sort of bias for speed, it's hard to keep up with the content, right? Sometimes the business can evolve faster than you create and deploy content. And so those moments, they're gold. And I, I think that a lot of folks, the tendency is to like tighten that audience up and say, oh boy, we had a we had a tough day. Let's bring a small group of people together to talk through it. And all that does is slow you down. And it deprives a whole group of leaders from learning from that moment. And it creates sort of single points of failure. So we don't do that. We, we look for those opportunities to teach at scale and invite them to be part of it. Yeah, that's a great program. And you, you hit on some other things. As you said, great minds think alike. I think a lot about the unfortunate knowing-doing gap. You know, companies will... Spend, you mentioned training, bringing people together in traditional training room or even virtual environments is expensive, maybe or maybe not for the training itself, but certainly in bringing everyone away from the day job to learn things, usually learn too much in too little time. And then how much of that is ever remembered and applied is, you know, uh, usually it's not not great reminders. So it takes more than just a training program. And so to do some of these um kind of more organic after action reviews and 5Y exercises and things, you know, seems really powerful. You also did mention feedback, you know, how, how do we know culture is thriving? How do we know where you can do better? Tell us a little bit of how you're listening to the voice of, of the Altoids. We have implemented a couple feedback loops that I assume you'll expect and a couple that maybe you won't. So I'll go through the ones you probably expect first. The first one is we just relaunched a survey mechanism. Most companies have something like this. I grew up in a time when you used to deploy those once a year and have the big action plan. And thank goodness that's antiquated now. We don't do that anymore. But you know, we found a partner that let us 
work with them to develop questions, both ones that they had sort of science behind and benchmarks for, as well as some that were sort of very specific to our culture. So we were able to get the right questions. They have the ability to let us target the right group. And then the frequency we choose. I mentioned that that annual survey is a thing of the past. There are some questions that probably don't, perceptions don't move very frequently. So, you know, the thing I think of are things like total rewards. I'm probably not going to be changing my total rewards rapidly. And so asking it more than once a year is probably detrimental because people are going to think, didn't you already ask this? Didn't I already answer it? Like, and nothing's changed. So why are you doing that? But then there are other things you want to stay close to, like safety. And you want to make sure that if sentiment changes, that you take note of that. I remember uh, from some work I did years ago around safety is one of the leading indicators that you could have a future safety issue is people's perceptions of the cleanliness of the workplace. Oh, wow. We hypothesize that that's because there's sort of that sort of laxing of standards that you know, you're not maybe taking as much pride in the workplace. But that was a powerful insight because the minute you start to see the cleanliness question happen, you've got to intervene quickly because you don't want that to materialize into injuries and such. So there are certain questions you want to ask a lot and others you could probably ask less often. And then I think there are also stages of the employee journey. New employees probably need tailored questions. Recently promoted leaders benefit from tailored questions. But I'm really excited that we've launched that. Here in about a month, we'll have the first wave, and then we'll start the sort of regular cadence around it and the more targeted approach. But the, the first one's just deploying now. The other things that we've got are things like all hands meetings. I think everybody does that. And you cover business results. You try to educate. You do things to build trust. And of course, you always have Q&A. And our CEO, Alicia, facilitates the Q&A. She fields a lot of those questions too. The other things we do would be roundtables or site visits. In fact, we just had uh, a supply chain officer and a member of my team were out at one of our facilities talking to the drivers and got some great feedback on what's going well and what isn't. I spent some time at the pharmacy not too far from my home here and got some feedback from Stacy. We got a brilliant leader there, frontline leader that's taking care of that team and serving our patients. And I spent some time with Stacy. She gave me feedback about how our annual review cycle and our merit cycles weren't really serving her need because she has hourly employees and they have a different expectation. And her feedback led to a change in Q3. And I think we're going to keep making some changes next year based on that. You cover so so many important points here, including you know this last one that everyone should have some sort of survey tool in place that's great for quantitative data, but it doesn't replace that qualitative, the face-to-face conversations, getting out into the field, getting out into site locations where a lot of this can can bubble up. And you're right. I, I've been doing employee engagement work long before they even had the term employee experience. It was just engagement. Um, early years, it was, and I'm talking 20, 30 years ago, a company was doing a good job if they did the survey once a year. It's like half the companies did, half didn't. Now it's considered antiquated, you know, your word about once a year. If you're a big company that's not changing, not growing, maybe you can get away with it. But almost all great companies now are moving to some sort of a pulse survey format. 
I often will say, you know, the faster your company's growing, the more frequently you need to survey because you've got more new hires and more things changing and inevitably breaking along the way that, you know, need to get addressed. And I really like what you said is, you know, not all items need to be asked on every survey. So you could do shorter ones focused on certain issues, certain times a year, and then maybe the annual cadence is the right thing for total rewards or something of that that nature. So I, I really like that approach. What's great is the partners out there now recognize that and they're changing their offerings so that you can do those things. Yeah, the space has changed a lot and it for the for the better. And I'm just from my background, I'm excited, Shannon, because now we're going to see additional layers of AI driven and hyper personalized surveys and other things coming out, which is exciting. Yeah. You've mentioned, well, all kinds of cool stuff from teaching at scale to the new survey approach. But is there any special initiative related to culture that you're most proud of or are you just really happy with the results that you want to share with us? There's a couple that come to mind and they're actually feedback loops that maybe you haven't thought of. The first one, we call it the voice of the employee or the vote. And the way this works is employees can submit a question, a concern, feedback, even recognition, and it goes out onto a board and a member of the leadership could be a frontline leader all the way up to a member of C-suite responds to it. And they get to see not only their question, but the answer and who answered when we do that. It's visible to our entire company. So all employees can read it because if you have a question, I probably have the same one. So why not share them with everybody rather than just making it between the, the person asking the question and answering it. And we get that out there. And what's great is it creates this conduit between the senior leadership and the frontline experience, because you got to keep that sort of visceral connection to what's happening right there at the front line. The other one that I would say, Kevin, is something we call the Alto Spotlight. And this came to be, I was talking to Alicia and she shared a story with me from her time when she was at General Motors and she was visiting one of her plants and the leaders there were telling her about this brilliant idea. There was a pain point in the plant they had this brilliant idea, they implemented it, and things were going just incredibly well. And of course, she wanted to take that and you know share it with her other plants. So she was digging way into the details of it. And the more questions she asked, the more she realized she didn't have the right people in the room to answer it. And so she finally asked, who came up with this? Like, who identified the problem and who came up with the idea? And they shared the name of the person. It was a frontline leader. And she said, well, are they here today? And they said, yeah. So they brought her into the room to talk to Alicia and like give her all the details. And that was such a like powerful moment for Alicia in her career because she's like, it just gave me so much more color than I could have gotten by sort of having that layer of separation from the person that actually did the work. And she said, you know, Shannon, what can you do to replicate that? Mm -hmm. And we worked together and we came up with the spotlight. And the way this works is we invite team members to come in to a live session with our senior leadership team. That's our VPs and higher. And we give them a template because we know that could be a little like nerve wracking. You're going to get in front of the senior leadership. That feels like a dinner table conversation. <laughs> uh, you're going to get in front of the senior leadership. So we give them a template that they can take us through and tell us, you know, a little bit about themselves, their Alto journey, their superpowers, the things they're working on. And we invite them to give us feedback about what's going well, what's just okay, and what needs work. And then they get to ask us questions. And this program may be the most organic way I've seen to build sponsorship yet. It's just so powerful because 
In some cases, people share things with you that you're fascinated by. On my team, I have a Teen Jeopardy champion. I have a National Spelling Bee champion. I have people that have lived in five or more countries. I have published authors. And so you find people that are fascinating that you're like, wait a minute, you were on Jeopardy? Tell me more. You also find people that you have things in common with. In fact, just last week, we were doing the spotlight and Sachel, one of our team members on the engineering group, shared that she is now an empty nester. She just took her youngest to university. Alicia, quite frankly, just like Tuesday, took her youngest to university. He's starting school at Stanford. And it was great to see the two of them like this sort of bond of, yeah, it's both exciting and, and a little heartbreaking, right? You're so they proud They shared of a tear together, right? Right, right. <laughs> and so you're creating connections in this moment by letting people tell their stories and letting people say, me too. Yeah, I've been there. I felt that. I love this Spotlight program. And I'm sure there's many just innovative ideas and problems that are solved. But putting the spotlight back on the area you did is just another form of connection and skipping levels along the way. We know, of course, that care, caring is a top driver of engagement. You know, do the people at work care about me? Well, you can't care about someone if you don't know about them. And now all of a sudden, there's a whole lot more people that know that, you know, she's newly an empty nester and you just went through this experience of dropping a kid off at college. And so just these ways to bring more connection and to spark that care is delightful. How often do you run that program? We do it every month. And so we invite a few folks in each month and get to hear their stories. And it's connecting people and finding those shared moments that's really powerful. What I love is the team has been vulnerable, sharing the things they're working on. Uh, They've been brave, sort of giving us feedback about what they don't like. And they've asked some really incredibly probing questions. There was one that came up and she was a frontline leader and she was sharing that she was struggling a little bit because she was tempted to be a pair of hands for her team. Mm. And I think we've all been through that in our career. If you've been leading long enough, right, you've had that temptation of either well, I just jump in and do it. I can do it quicker because I don't have to slow down to teach anybody. Or, and I think this is probably the more insidious of the two is if I jump in, I'm helping my team. By doing some of the work, I'm helping them. And I say insidious because it's well-intentioned, but over time, so much burden sits on you rather than really empowering your team to do it and help you shift up to that level as a leader. It can really slow you and your team down. And I remember when the, the person shared it, I immediately thought back to a time when I was leading a building. Uh, It was in South Carolina, 7,000 employees. It's probably the hardest job I've ever had in my entire career. And it was because I was going through that huge learning curve. And one of the things that helped me break that cycle, especially the, well, I want to help them, was when I would get ready to do something, I would say, am I the only person Mm. that can or should do this? And If I do this, who am I depriving of an opportunity to learn? And that broke the cycle for me was, man, now I'm not helping them. I'm harming them because I'm depriving them the opportunity to learn. And far be it for me to do that. So I shared that with her and she reached out afterwards and said, wow, that was so powerful because you're exactly right. I felt like I was helping them. And in some ways I am, but I'm also hurting them a little bit because I'm not taking the time to teach them and let them learn and grow. Oh, incredible example. And I'm sure there's a lot of us listening 
to this story who kind of twinge realizing our own micromanaging natures, which isn't always for bad reasons. Not that we don't trust people. It's not that we are picking apart their work. Sometimes it's because we think we're being helpful or, you know, if we settle down, we realize, okay, like it's how I feel valuable, you know, or I want to superhero it myself. I feel good. I saved the day. And, And we're actually harming the development of the team members when we're jumping in in that way. It's good. You're exactly right. And I'm going to date myself here, but you don't want to be mighty mouse. And, you know, (laughs) here I come to save the day. Like that's not who you want to be, but it's so tempting to do that. And, and you can often rationalize it really well-intended efforts there, but that's why I had to find a phrase that helped me break that cycle and sort of like shamed me into doing the right thing (laughs) for lack of a better word. One thing I'd say about this program, Kevin, is I've shared this with some of my peers over the years, and people will say, oh, great. Well, how do you think about nominations? Or do you restrict it just to your top performers? I would caution against that because things like ratings, we know that it's really hard to keep bias out of ratings. And in these cases, you want to build connections to your entire population, and you want to hear all voices. And so Resist the urge to do that. And if you're going to be targeted at all, think about in the line of sort of populations. So for example, a few months ago, I had a handful of new leaders join and I wanted them to learn sort of alto history and how we do things quickly. So I invited the the talent spotlights for a couple months were long tenured team members. And so I wanted them to hear not only all the expertise that those people had, I wanted them to connect with them because they were probably going to be the smartest person in the room for them that they could lean on and ask questions for. And I wanted them to stay connected because as these leaders were coming in and implementing things, or if they had ideas, they needed to keep an ear to the ground on the experience of the tenured leader. So if you're going to be targeted at all, Think about it more that way than than sort of restricting it to some sort of nomination process. You certainly can't, but I, I think you've got a little risk that you could embed some bias in and you'll miss some important voices. Now, Shannon, this is a relatively short podcast, so but I've got a handful of questions that Maybe a little shorter, but more fun also. And here's one. So imagine that you could send a book or a podcast or maybe even a movie to every one of your colleagues and they were guaranteed to read it or consume it, take it to heart. What would you send to everyone? I am a self-professed introvert bookworm. So this is hard to uh, to choose my favorite, but I would share one that shifted my thinking and that I think reflects the brilliant Altoids I get to work with. And that is Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman, Adventures of a Curious Character by Richard Feynman. I don't know if you know him, but he's a Nobel Prize winning physicist. And one of the things he's most remembered for, there's a lot of them, but is this idea of the freshman seminar. And what he says is, if you're going to really understand something deeply, then you have to be able to convey it in plain language to a smart novice. And that's why the freshman seminar, sort of a freshman in university. If you can't teach a freshman seminar on this, you don't really understand what you're talking about. And that transformed the way I thought. And so it was a really powerful, you know, it was a fun read, but it introduced me to this character that I just had to dig in and learn more about. And I've read a lot on him, but he was highly intelligent, endlessly curious, and seemingly fearless. 
And that just fascinated me and I found it entertaining. So for my team, I, I would share that with them because I would I would use those same adjectives to describe Altoids, intelligent, curious, and fearless. And I think they might have a good time reading it. I love that. I actually, um, my last book just came out about a month ago is about goal setting, sort of the do's and don'ts or the pros and cons. And I write about Feynman because he was incredibly accomplished and yet he was not one to necessarily set a specific goal. He would just chase his curiosity. What is he curious about? And he would go chase that and great things would happen. And so there's, for all the people that we could say, oh, they wrote themselves a million dollar check when they were poor and then they got their million dollars. There's many more who got their million dollars just by chasing what they were curious, what they were passionate about. I love yeah. I love that book and example. Here's another one. What's something you know now that you wish you knew when you first became a chief people officer? Write yourself like the letter to the younger version of yourself. What would you say? Hey, here's a warning. <laughs> I would hand myself a beginner's guide to startups. I've been part of large consumer organizations that spin up new business lines. And we used to say, you know, oh, we're in a startup environment. But you're not really in a startup environment when your investor is your boss. It's not until you're sort of out there existential making a go of it. And I tell you, I spend more days asking myself, is this normal? In fact, I don't think I've asked that question as much since I was a teenager. It's just all the time when you're out there in a startup world, there are just odd moments that you're like scratching your head and, and you got to decide which way to go. But there's also a lot of great things about a startup. And if I wrote a book, I'd include things like if you choose to work in a, a startup, it's special because you get to wear multiple hats. There's so many on the job learning opportunities. I mean, it's just opportunity abounds. And the influence and autonomy is markedly different than in an established or bureaucratic environment. That's great. So you're probably starting to think about your 2024 plan or maybe have a draft. What are some of the priorities or focus areas for you and your team? We're at a really exciting point in our history in the fact that we've got a line of sight to sustainable, to fully profitable, which is a big milestone for a startup. And so there's a lot of these moments where we're either looking at the way we've done things or the way we do things to say, is that a sustainable business model? And if not, we're refining that. Or we're saying, is that scalable? Meaning if we hit that milestone and suddenly accelerations happen and we suddenly like scale up, are we ready for that or our system's going to break? So both through the end of the year and early next year, I expect to be spending a lot of time on foundational things and making sure that we go back and inspect them to say, are they ready for the pressure of scale? I love it. So what excites you most about the company right now? With everything going on, what's, what are you most excited about? Well, I'm excited that we have several key partnerships that we've been working for. In fact, uh, there's a couple that we just recently finalized with our partners. We spend a lot of our time in the fertility space. A lot of our patients are, are struggling with fertility and they come to us as they're working with their doctors on that. So Carrot and Future Families are two that are helping people through that time. We've got other partnerships like Progeny in that space. And there's others that we think we're going to be able to announce in the coming weeks and months. This is really exciting because I mentioned we've got 
a lot of Altoids that are fully dedicated and believe in this. And landing those agreements, those partnerships is going to introduce just a host of new patients to Alto and see what's possible in the pharmacy space. Shannon Wilson, Chief People Officer at Alto, congratulations on all the great work and thanks for spending time uh, with us sharing some of your wisdom today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Kevin. I really enjoyed it. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Culture Code Podcast. Are you looking to build, refine, or revamp a training program? We team up with companies like Northwestern Mutual, Cineos Health, and Duck Creek Technologies to roll out highly engaging training series for emerging leaders, new managers, women in leadership, high potential managers, sales enablement, and more. Check it out at leadx.org. What makes these series so uniquely engaging? We help you build a full system of development that leverages our cutting-edge platform and world-class training. We blend together world-class cohort-based virtual training and group coaching, personalized nudges, micro-learning, and on-demand office-hour-style coaching. Go check it out at leadx.org. Thank you.